0: The following content is derived from the preaching ministry of Ashland Community Church in Oldham County, Kentucky. We exist to spread a passion for the supremacy of Christ in all things for the joy of all peoples. And we pray that God's grace among us would spread beyond us to anyone who happens to listen. For more information, please visit our website at ashlandcc.net. Thanks for listening. Please turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're nearing the end of our series through 1 Corinthians. There's this one and then one more chapter. Uh, But we're going to spend a few weeks just in chapter 15. And the reason for that is because we come to chapter 15. It's it's the climax of the letter. And it's a long chapter, um, but I hope you'll see why Paul discusses Some important things that really give a lot of light and meaning and purpose to the rest of his letter. Once you have it, please stand in reverence for God's perfect word. I'm going to read all 11 verses. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then the twelve, Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God." but by the grace of God I am what I am. And His grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the Gospel, which we've sang, which we've recited, which we prayed already this morning. And we're thankful for this letter and this section, this reminder of the resurrection, of what Christ has done for us. Lord, I pray that we would behold you and marvel at your grace this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I've, to- I've been told, and like you probably have too, There's morning people, and then there's night owls. There's people that do really wake up early, do really well in the morning, they just wake up ready to go. And then there's some people that aren't morning people, rather they'd they'd rather stay up late into the night, you know, whether you're talking or praying or reading or watch TV, whatever it may be, you love staying up at night. And I don't really fall into either of those categories personally. I do best in daylight hours. So... Prime time for me is like 9 a.m. until I put my kids to bed, and then I turn into a pumpkin, pretty much. I, I've, I've always struggled with that. Even, even now, especially this time of year where it gets dark sooner, I put my daughter to bed, and then I'm like, I'm ready to go to bed. But something that has always been very difficult for me ever since I can remember is the Mornings. The mornings have always been difficult, and, and not in, like, a funny way, but in a very difficult, hard way. Um, ever since I've been a believer, and I, you know, I've, I wake up fairly early most mornings, but it doesn't matter whether I wake up late or early. The mornings are very difficult for me. For me, right when I wake up in the morning, my immediate, and I still struggle with this, the, my immediate response, like, right when I wake up is dread. Dread. Desperation. I begin, I mean, right when I wake up, my mind starts to just play through all the things I need to do that day, and I'm like, I don't, I don't want to get up and do those things. And it doesn't matter if they're good things. I went to Disney World, took my family to Disney World a couple weeks ago, and it was a great time. But every morning, even on vacation, I woke up, and the, my first thoughts were, I do not want to go to Disney World today. I don't want to do anything. And some of you are like, well, I don't know, you know, but it was a great time, but it takes me about 30 minutes to an hour, and then I, I'm good. But that initial time of waking up for me, it's not just something an energy drink or coffee can put a Band-Aid on. For those initial moments in the morning, for some reason, for me personally, I feel desperate, low for the day ahead. And I, I've tried so many different things, and everyone's got opinions on what you should do. There's podcasts from these high-performance guys who say, you know, like Mark Wahlberg, he wakes up at 2 a.m. and starts his workout routine. First of all, that ain't happening, and that's insane, okay? <laughs> you know, and, and there's all kinds of books and stuff, and even in my like discipleship group with Pastor Casey, Joe, and Dan, I remember sharing this multiple times, and you know, I had trouble waking up. I was one of those 15 alarm setters, okay? And there's, so there's things that you can do. I remember Casey was like, you need to take get you an alarm, an old school one, and put it across the room so that when you wake up, you're up. Well, I did that. I got that, and my wife will test you. I put it across the room. We, have, we had a big bedroom, woke up, and I went to that alarm clock, and I hit snooze and went back to bed. Did nothing for me. And, and those are all helpful things. These are all really helpful tips, and it works for a lot of people. But for me in the morning, when I wake up, and, I, and I, this I'm not joking about, it is, a, it is my lowest point of the day, typically. I feel desperate, unanchored. Not until a few years ago, when I was a member at Ashland Avenue Baptist in Lexington... Pastor David was preaching, and he says this a lot, but one of the things that stuck with me that that has helped, and and this is kind of leading into our text this morning, is that he would say, before your feet even hit the floor in the morning, thank God for what's coming. Thank God for all the things that are not going to go well today. Thank God for all the circumstances you're in. And remind yourself of the gospel. Remind yourself of what Jesus has done. And I remember hearing that and being like, Okay, I'll try that. And it it does. It helps so much. And I find that the days that I remember to do that before I get out of bed, because sometimes I wake up and I'm in such a bad mood, I'm just like, oh, let me get up. I don't even think to do that. But the days I do that, not to say it's going to be a great day, everything's going to go my way, but I feel more anchored because it's truth. It's truth that's real and alive. And carries us through the day, and in that truth, we find something very important. In the gospel of Jesus Christ, when we believe in that gospel, and Pastor Casey said it earlier, we believe we are saved, not by something I can conjure up within myself, not just some energy drinks or coffee, not some something I can just, you know, motivate myself to do. We believe in what's called grace. And no matter what, I'm unworthy. God has shown favor to me despite me through the gospel. And that's helpful because I think people often are on a spectrum. When we, we talk about energy levels and stuff, you have on this side, you have really high performers that are just really motivated. They wait, and you're probably, some of you probably fall into this. You wake up in the morning, you're like, let's get the day. I'm going to just slay today. I'm going to do it. It's going to be awesome. I'm so excited for what's ahead of me. And you have people like me on the other side are like, I don't want to get out of bed. They're more unaffected, lazy, apathetic. But what we need, and, and there's dangers in both of those things, because on this side, we, we, we idolize the high-performance people because they look really good. They're doing a lot of things, and you should strive to do well. But the danger in this side is that you can begin to trust in yourself and what you can do, and you forget the grace that's been shown to you that's carrying you. And then the danger in this side is a little more obvious. You become unaffected by what you know in the gospel. You become unaffected by the word. You don't want to get up. You don't want to do anything. You just want to lay back and do what you want to do. And so on both sides, there's dangers that you can fall into. But Paul is going to help us see the solution of that. He's going to help us see the root of that, And the solution to that as well. But we gotta realize when we come to chapter 15, it's not just in a vacuum. We've been studying this letter to a people, the Corinthians. And the Corinthians fall into more of this high-powered, like they knowledge seeking, glory-seeking, ladder climbing, status-seeking people. They want to be somebody. They they want to grow in wealth and in fame. They want people to look at them and say, look at me. This is the problems that we've been reading oh, with all the different issues. This is, some of these preferences are underlying these issues of the Corinthians wanting to make a name for themselves. They, they look at themselves instead of Christ. And so when Paul comes to chapter 15, we reach the climax of this letter because he's dealt with several issues. And we know that there's been some kind of letter that's been sent to Paul. As Paul Hey, can you address all these issues we're having in the church? He's been addressing them over and over again. Different issues. And then we come to 15, and here's where we find our grounding and our anchor that makes all of his, uh, his advice, all of his truth that he's been saying make sense. And that's in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so let's read together how we are holding fast in verses 1 through 7. Sorry, verses 1 through 2. Let's start there. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Let's, let's spend a minute. Look at your Bibles. Let's dissect this a little bit, Okay. There's like a progression here. So I'm going to remind you. So Paul is reminding them. So he's telling them, here's a reminder for you, brothers. After all this, here's a reminder. The gospel that you have received, stand on this. Standing on this gospel. For this thing, the gospel, is the thing that is saving you. The thing that has saved you. If you hold fast. Unless you believe for no reason. And we we could read that if, hey, be reminded, you are standing in the gospel if you are holding fast. And we can read that and the temptation is saying, oh, is it up to me? Like I can just determine for myself if I'm going to be in the gospel or not. Well, Paul's going to address that. We're going to come back to this because there's something, there's a key to this passage, and that's grace in the gospel that holds this firm. We have to be careful not to read this as us being the driver of what God has done for us, of what Jesus has done for us, or even for our daily lives, the great things that happen to us. We are not the drivers of those things. And Paul is going to reveal to us what that is. I remember when we first planted this church back in 2017. It might have been 2018 when we started this. Know Chris Hilp Chris and I met together, and we just wanted to get guys together. Nothing like crazy, get guys together and work out once a week. Just fellowship, well, I don't know how much fellowship that is. You get together and you work out together. And there was, I don't know, like five or six of us, and we'd meet. Chris had these crazy plans. He had this place, there's a place in Crestwood called the Pit of Despair, which he called that. And it is a pit of despair. It's a really, yeah, it's a really steep hill, right? And so we would meet in these different parts of the county at 5 a.m. on Fridays, And exercise together. And as a morning person, or as not a morning person, that was very difficult for me, but I wanted to do it, right? And so I'd get up, we'd get up, and we'd all meet there. And there's one place out um, in Pee Wee Valley, and uh, I remember we met there one time. And this specific occasion, it's, it's very dark, and you know, we had a couple guys, you know, like Pastor Casey, he's in shape, and Chris, you know, he's a marathon runner, Van Jones, if y'all remember him, CrossFit guy, and a couple of us normal guys, and then there's me down here that's like, I don't run ever, and uh, we started running, and, and Chris, before he was giving instructions of what we're doing, and me not wanting to be there, was like, I'll just figure this out, you know, I'll just follow him, well, so we start running, and we run, and I don't know what it looks like in the daytime, but in the nighttime, it's just an abyss. I don't know where I'm at. I don't know where they're going. And quickly, they all pull away from me. They're way ahead. And uh, and at the time, I think Joe was running with us, and he was with me for a minute. And then he even pulled away from me. And all of a sudden, I find myself lost in this neighborhood in Oldham County. And there's turns, and I don't even know where I'm at anymore. And so I feel completely lost. and I'm tired, and I'm just like, I should have. Listen to what he said, and not been so passive about it. And I ended up just backtracking my way, walking my way back, and met them there. And they had already finished. But there's this idea, we say this a lot, where we say, I'll just figure it out. We often live our lives like this. We live in this this passive way where we just let life wash over us. Instead of trying to actively live our lives according to the gospel, we wait for things to happen to us, and then we react. And it's a dangerous place to live. Because what happens is when you say something like, I'll figure it out, you find yourself in situations where you're just relying on yourself. You find yourself in situations where you're just relying on your own intuition to figure out whatever you're in. But that's not the model here. And in fact, Paul's going to show us Something here, we're going to get to this confession that's going to help ground us to that. And, and even in these first two verses, you see this active language that Paul's using. Look again, it says, you know, standing. In which you stand, in which you are being saved, If you're holding fast. It's, it's, it's an active language that we are living our lives according to the gospel. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, this isn't the first idea when, when Paul calls us to remember the gospel. It's not just, hey, you remember that time when Jesus did this thing? No. When we talk about remembering in the Bible, there's something to it. And In Deuteronomy chapter 6, you see this where there's a truth that's being spoken, and he gives instructions on how to remember. And he says this in, in verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There's the truth. Remember this, Israel. And then here's what he says. He gives instructions on how to remember this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your head, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on doorposts of your house and on your gates. You see... You see how pervasive it is. It's all part of life that you're reminding yourself that the Lord your God is one. Well, Paul, by drawing our attention to the gospel here, he's not just saying, hey, remember this time. No, he's calling you to actively remember what has saved you so that you can walk actively in this life no matter what's coming, so that you're ready for it and you know how to respond to it. We're moving from a reactive state of living to actively living in the gospel. You know, I think of times when I was learning to swim. You know, I remember, I was an older child, and I remember trying to learn to swim, and actually just like, I need something to hold on to, or I'm going to drown. We need, we look at Christ as he's our, he's our life vest. We need to be holding on to something that's stable, that will keep us afloat. Instead of waiting until we're already under the water. To, no, we want to be put on Christ all the time verse 3 and 4, Paul says this, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So Paul, again, this is a Pastor Casey said this earlier. This is an ancient or part of an ancient creed that that the church in this time would have known and that they would recite it, just like we recited earlier. Why? To remind themselves, to actually remind themselves by which they were saved so that they can live according to the gospel. And Paul, by the way, by mentioning this, he's combating something you see in verse 12, which we'll talk about next week. But in verse 12 it says, Now if Christ is proclaimed... As raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So, apparently in Corinth, there was a belief among the Corinthians that there's no resurrection of the dead. This pervasive belief that there's no resurrection. It's, it's something that's metaphorical or spiritual, but not something physical and bodily. that This isn't happening, and he's trying to show. He's not just defending, but he's trying to show us and the Corinthians the substance of our faith. And you notice the language in verses 3 and 4. It's very physical, right? He died, sorry, he says that he was buried, or he died in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day. In and, and this picture, the language he's using, it, it's reminding them of, in their heads, they're, they're thinking physical, not just spiritual; they're thinking like a dead corpse rising from the dead. That was offensive to a lot of people. A lot of people would have heard right, resurrection of the dead, disgusting. But Paul is Paul is showing them that the resurrection of Jesus was real, and not just in some spiritual sense, but in a physical, real, spiritual sense, and it affects us as a whole, spiritual, physical, embodied people. And when Paul is Going over this creed, what, what he's doing by, by speaking this creed is he's calling them and us to make near the things that they believe, so that it affects the way they act and live. We, we use this sometimes with memories. like we nostalgia, we all have nostalgic things in our lives, and you know sometimes I have several things. I, I can be a very nostalgic person. I have several things that just trigger memories and puts me back, transports me back. You know, if you play the song by Taking Back Sunday, New American Classic, I'm going remind, to be reminded of when my wife were dating. Like, it's just how it is. I'm just going remi- to be reminded. If you play Paramore, I'm going to think I'm in my old uh, 1995 red caravan, cruising in the fall time. It's just how it is. A lot of times they revolve around music. But we use nostalgia a lot to transport ourselves back, but so we, we understand that reminding, being reminded of something can be powerful. But the thing about nostalgia is that it's often empty. Because our lives change. Circumstances change. When I hear a New American Classic by Taking Back Sunday, I'm no longer the same person riding in the car with my then girlfriend. I'm a different person. And so if I try to apply that wisdom and that logic to my marriage now... That will not work, because I was an idiot. But there's a difference between nostalgia and remembering, and that difference is what is an unchangeable truth that is alive and is active that hasn't changed, that Jesus Christ was dead, buried in the grave, died for our sins, and that he rose again. And so when we confess this together, we preach this, we sing it together, we pray this, Everything we do is in this resurrection power. We tr- we are reminded. We make near what happened 2000 years ago. Why? Because Jesus is alive and reigning even now. And so when we read these creeds, when we read the gospel, we think about the gospel. We remind ourselves about the gospel. It's not just something we're thinking about nostalgically. We're not thinking about how we grew up in church and Sunday school. No. The gospel applies to where you are right here and right now. When we remember, we're making it near. And let the truth affect us day by day and minute by minute. Let's look in verse 8. We see our our supply to continue. I'm sorry, verse 5 here. That he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James. This is the James that that is Jesus' brother. Then to all the apostles. And by the way, this James who was Jesus' brother on earth, he, did, he was not a follower or a believer in Jesus while Jesus was alive. It was not till after Jesus died and was raised that he believed. And what Paul is doing right here, he's not just trying to give you proof text for the resurrection. You can use it for that, to prove that, hey, look at all these eyewitnesses that saw Jesus. That is true. We can do that. But he's trying to show that this resurrection is real, and it happened, and it was physical, right? Because he's combating the Corinthians who are saying, We don't believe in the resurrection of the dead, and Paul's saying, "Well, I got over 500 people that would beg to differ." But then we come to verse eight, where Paul begins to speak about himself. He says, "This last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me." Now, in our Bibles, this when we read this, it's not it doesn't the English here doesn't really capture the language he's using, because the language he's using is very jarring. When he talks about someone who's untimely born, he's using what what the Corinthians are thinking and what the Greeks would be thinking is a stillborn baby. Not just someone who was born later on, but a stillborn baby. And we think about that, I want you to think about that, and, and what that would even look like. Because what's happened is the Corinthians, he's really making a play on what they've been talking to him about. The Corinthians don't really think that he's that impressive. He's not a good looking guy. He's not very good with his speech. He has some sort, we don't know what it is, he has some sort of defect. And so he doesn't look like someone that's high powered and a performance type of guy. He doesn't look like the model Christian. He doesn't look like someone like Peter. Like Apollo. So what, what Paul is doing here, he's, he's trying to get them to see, like, I am the last here. Keep going in verse 9, says, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle. Why? Because I persecuted the church of God. Paul is showing his unworthiness here. His unworthiness. He's not an impressive guy. But then we get to verse 10, and I love the first few words here, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. What Paul Paul just got done describing himself as lowly, as dead, as not responsive, as someone not impressive, someone who would be just disgusting in their eyes based on what they think is successful in life. He's he's making himself look low. He would be the last person you choose on your team. But he says here, but by the grace of God. God. And that's important because we ask the question, what is grace? What does grace even mean? Well, Paul's giving us an example of it. He's showing how unworthy he is. He's using his self as an example. But yet, even as unworthy and sinful, someone who persecuted, who drug believers out of the church in their homes and beat them and were at the councils where they were sentenced to death, someone who persecuted the church of Jesus Christ, Completely unworthy. Yet, God has shown favor to him. Why? Was it something that Paul did? No, we just, we just thought about that. And A lot of times when we think about people we want to see, we want to see the, the most famous people get saved. We look at like Tim Tebow. It's like, yeah, that's a high-powered Christian right there. He has a lot of influence. But no, we are all On the same playing field with Paul. We are all equally as unworthy, all equally as sinful. None of us before Christ were closer to Jesus than another person. We were all sinful, all deserving of God's judgment toward us. Rightly so, because we were enemies of God. Paul was an enemy of God. Yet we see grace displayed by God. Not because of something Paul did, but God chose Paul. And for those of us who are in Christ, He has chosen us. He has elected us. And the grace that He has shown us is effectual. It's not just one time. No, when He has shown us grace, we can't help but to respond to His grace and be changed by Him. The work of salvation is by God alone. And Paul is emphasizing this here. And to understand grace, you have to first see yourself as what you truly are, unworthy. But the beautiful thing is that if you believe in Christ and trust in him, he changes you by his grace. And that's what's highlighted here. This text, when, it, when I, I needed this text this week, guys, when I read this, the grace of God is something to be marveled at because I know who I am. I know the thoughts I've had. I know the things I've done. And I know I am undeserving. I needed someone to save me. And Jesus is the only one who can. This grace is not in vain. It is active, and it's working. And and it's not just a one-time. Yes, he saves us by his grace, but God supplies more and more grace abundantly every single day. And we see this next when we keep going. Verse 10, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And then look what, what he does here. He says, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Now, you could read this and you say, well, Paul, that's kind of a, you really think you're somebody. Right? If I came up to you I was like, oh, yeah, these guys, I work way harder than them. Like, when you first read this, you're like, that's kind of weird to say, Paul. It kind of seems like you're contradicting yourself. You seem kind of prideful. But that's not what Paul's doing because Paul is showing that because of his heart, he, work, he is working hard because of the grace that was shown to him. He's not bragging here, about himself at least. He's bragging and boasting in Christ. Because the, it is the grace of God which is supplied to him and fuels him daily to preach the gospel and to work and to live. It is active fuel for us. And we got to grace, guys, when we think about grace, it's a reminder to us that we are not somebodies. We are not impressive I work in a, in a corporate work environment, and maybe some of you do, um, but we have lots of meetings, lots of calls. And, you know, I want to appear like one of these high-powered people. Why? So I can get a raise in my performance review. I want to I, I be able to get a raise and do a good job, right? But a lot of times we have these calls, and there are several calls that I get roped into in meetings where I have, n- I have no idea what they're talking about. And so I go in to these meetings, and I just sit there hoping not to get called on, but in order to look like I'm engaged, I I really like lean in, I'm like, "Mm, yeah, yeah, take some notes here. I use some corporate jargon like, yeah, you know, yeah, the synergy here, you know, it it means nothing, right? Right? And what's going on is, I'm not really interested in contributing anything. I'm just interested in being perceived like I know something. I'm interested in being perceived a certain way. And there's a name for that it's called vainglory. It's a form of pride. And let me tell you something, guys it is exhausting. It is exhausting to live a life where you just want to be perceived a certain way, but you're not really interested or trying to actually be the thing you're perceiving, want to be perceived as. Chris Armstrong wrote this. I was really good. He says, We don't care whether we are good at something. We just want to be perceived as good. I, this is the enemy of grace, guys. If we pretend and we fake our way through It blocks the self-disclosure, the transparency needed to understand and live in the grace that God has shown us. If you live in such a way that makes yourself look like you are all-knowing, or like you are the one that is to be desired for all of your work projects or for whatever it is, that's an exhausting life you're in for, and you're living a life Not focused on the grace of God. You're being supplied by just yourself and what you can muster up. Which isn't much. You need the grace of God. Actively in your life, be reminding yourself of this grace that you are unworthy. And when I say remind yourself that you're unworthy, I don't mean you spend every day like thinking, I am a worm. You know, I'm just awful and terrible. That's not, because that's not true who you are in Christ now. Yes, you are a sinner, but in Christ, when God looks at you, he sees his son. Because his sacrifice has applied to you. We not only get our sins, he didn't just die for our sins, but he gave us his righteousness. And we're to remind ourselves of that. It changes the way we live. Let me finish this text here. Verse ten on the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. See this, Paul keep coming back to the gospel and to the grace, to the thing that that is the thing that is fueling him and supplying him, not himself. Whether it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believe. Paul is not concerned here about hey, who preached to who? He's concerned about the gospel that's being preached and whether you believe. Do you believe the gospel? Christian, if you believe the gospel, the grace of God is the solution to when you can't feel like you can't go on, to when you're at the end of your rope, when you are in desperation, like me in the mornings, if I don't remind myself of the gospel, I'll just be in a bad mood, and then what happens? I forget about it in an hour, and then I just live my day just trusting in myself, and then I just go, I just go about without the gospel, and what does that happen? If you live day by day that way, just this empty, hollow, nostalgic existence, it leads to burnout, it leads to doubt, but we need something to keep anchoring us, keep going back to what is anchoring us in the gospel, anchoring us in our life, and that is the gospel. And when I think about grace, I was thinking about it this week. It's not something we manipulate. I can't just, it's not a tool that we use here. Like, I'm going to shoot some grace. It's not just this abstract power, like the force, like, I'm going to get some grace and use it here. No. It's something that is supplied to us by God. And when I think about grace, I think about this church. I mean, look, look around you right now. There is no, none of us here, and I know we say this a lot, but none of us here are, are, are impressive, okay? I, I don't have 12 rules you can live your life by to ensure success and financial prosperity and happiness. Like, I, I don't have that. Pastor Casey doesn't have it. Joe doesn't have it. Dan, None of us have that. We are just normal, ordinary people. Unworthy of the grace of God, but living and trusting in the grace of God. And look around you. Look what God has done. We started, Joe shared that picture on Facebook a few weeks ago of when we started this church back in 2016. And there were maybe 30 people in here. But I think about the last several years and how people have trusted that it is God that's the one that's going to build this church. And it's not just about numbers, that's not what I'm saying, but it's about the people. It's about the grace of God, people living by the grace of God. Sunday after Sunday, day after day, going to work, coming home, spending time with family, sharing the gospel, inviting people. And again, you might say, well, look what you've done. No, look what God has done. We look around and we see, I mean, I look around right now, I see the grace of God to our church. And we haven't been perfect, and neither will we ever will be. But look what God has done here, and what he will continue to do. And know this, that we, it is not us that is doing this. Like, even though we, we try, we give out t-shirts on county day, That's not the thing that's bringing people to Christ, no. And I would say we shouldn't keep doing that. But it's the gospel. It is God himself working through us as a people, living an active life, trusting and depending upon the Spirit of God to work and move by his grace. We are who we are and do what we do because of the gospel and the grace of God. Let's pray together.